0: Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. My name is Jesse Day, and before we dive in, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investing advice. Do Your Own Due Diligence. And today's guest is the founder and portfolio manager of Fennec Consulting, somebody we always love having on the show. Here to give us an update on the commodity space It's John Fennec. Welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Jesse.
0: So I want to start with uh, the recent Fed pause because uh, a, a lot of people were expecting perhaps another 25 basis point hike you described it before we started recording as a hawkish pause. So could you talk about why that is? And uh, you mentioned that they talked about raising a couple more times this year. And this goes quite contrary to a lot of uh, precious metals investors who've been talking about the fact that the Fed has to cut rates, and it has to happen this year, a lot of people are saying. So what's your opinion on the matter?
1: Sure, thanks uh, for having me back. Um, you know, the Fed yesterday, was we call it a hawkish pause because they're talking about two small rate hikes by the end of the year now and that was kind of new information as far as i'm concerned because there's so many that have been in the camp of a pause that leads to cuts right and we have not said that at all if you look at our work since march of last year we thought that the fed would go on a large you know rate hiking uh, you know scenario which is actually played out right and we never, we never thought it would be this long. Okay. To be fair, we thought it would end around June of last, of uh, this year. Um, and we, we, we got it you know, close in the sense that it's it's a pause and maybe there's pauses and more cuts from here. Right. Who knows? But we were saying, you know, by June of this, you know, we went on kick last June and said by June of this year, we should see some type of, of relief. And we're starting to see that. Okay. So we didn't get a, a hike yesterday. But it's kind of like 50-50 for the July meeting. I mean, Powell said a couple of times the July meeting is live, meaning it is a possibility for that being a 25-bit hike. So, you know, I don't think this is extremely bullish for, you know, the gold and silver mining sector in general. But I think what investors need to do is, we've said this on your program since last year, is align themselves with a professional like myself and look at opportunities that are going to buck the trend based on news, right? So if the sector is going to be under a little bit of pressure, it doesn't mean that stocks can't do well. It just means you're going to have to do some more homework. And that's, I know, a pain, but it, it is something that is part of our business. That you have to do the research to to make money. Uh, sometimes you get lucky, right? But in, in the mining sector, it's not usually the case.
0: So we're potentially looking at a couple more rate hikes this year of 25 basis points. As you mentioned, that doesn't seem bullish for the precious metals. However, central banks have been continuing to accumulate gold. We've had Turkey, India, and the Czech Republic continuing to add tons in May. Could that potentially drive the gold price higher? And are there any other factors you see that are currently working in gold's favor?
1: Yeah, that's true. But we've seen you know, a lot of central bank buying for a number of years now, in in my opinion, right? And we have seen a gold price that has made higher lows, as we've said on your show before, over 10, 15 years on the chart, which is a beautiful looking long-term chart, right? So it just hasn't translated to gold producers, gold explorers. And that's what's frustrating investors, I think, more than anything, is that the gold price is holding in quite well. Even post Fed here, we're at 1945 today. So, you know, if we, we can make another run at 2050 plus, I think you have to break through with some authority there, or you're going to have a pullback. Um, because that would be, you know, uh, not the first time we've made that, uh, that run in the last couple of years, right? And, and that seems to be resistance there between 2050 and 20, uh, 20, you know, 2100. Um, but, you know, To your, to your point, there's a couple of things looming out there that could help us in, in the gold and silver space. One is, um, the BRICS meeting that's coming up. I believe it's August 22nd through the 24th. You know, there's talk of gold being a part of, of an alternative currency that the BRICS is going to talk about, right? And that could be 2%, 3%, 5%. We don't know yet, but, you know, this might be one of the reasons why you see the accumulation is that there's going to be some announcement made in August. And I think that would catch some investors flat-footed because August is typically one of the slowest months out there for the equity markets, right? <clears throat> so September is one of the better mar- da- uh, better months for, for, for gold. Um, in terms of we have Beaver Creek, we've got Denver Gold. We've got people talking about their, their um, uh, stories and coming out with news flow. So the timing of that could be interesting. Secondly, as we said on your show last time, I'm not in the camp that the financial crisis is over. Like this was a serious event from call it March 8th to March 31st. Uh, You saw major companies, you know, top 20 banks in the US go under like, and yet AI and tech and so many other areas are doing extremely well, like nothing has happened. So that's really rookie kind of um move. In, in my opinion, this is more of a, melt up in the market than this euphoric rally, especially after the Fed yesterday. I mean, you would have wanted to hear Powell be more dovish and say, you know, we're done for a while. That was clearly not what he said.
0: Interesting. I do want to talk about the broad market in a moment as well. But first, I'd like to talk about silver and then uranium, because uh, we love uranium on this show. But uh, first, I want to discuss silver, because Lobo Tigre has been pointing out lately that silver is acting a bit more like an industrial metal and has been tracking copper more closely than it does gold. Do you think silver's role is starting to shift to an industrial commodity, or do you think it will be continued to be recognized as a monetary metal? Because we're, we aren't seeing central banks accumulating any silver at the moment.
1: That's a good point. Um, I Silver is still one of our top five positions, but we built most of that position you know, before the 2020 crisis and during that crisis in April of 2020. We have not added to that position since, just for your viewers' knowledge, but we came really close last year. We were out there at around 17, 18 an ounce, and we almost got filled on a bunch, um, but it bounced right off of that level, as you know, in the fall um, we're going to be buyers in that level again. I don't think we're getting back to seventeen to eighteen because now you've got a financial crisis on your hands, and you have other things going on that have materialized. Um, I do agree with Lobo in that you do see it trade like a precious on certain, certain days and trade like an industrial on other days. And yes, it, it has more industrial applications uh, so than gold clearly. So it is going to trade kind of wonky sometimes. Um, but if you look at the chart, I think it's pretty constructive since the, you know, since last fall. Um, silver's held in pretty well versus a lot of other commodities, um, which clearly wasn't the case the year or two before then. It was one of the laggards. So I think we've turned the corner in silver. And so we've been buying silver equities here, you know, not aggressively, but definitely from January through, picked that up in March when we saw, you know, the, the financial crisis begin. And, um, you know, I've just sort of, uh, been been buying some of our favorite names like we think there's a couple of anomalies that we see in the junior silver market right um, silver X is one AGXPF um, they basically you know came out with news that they were going to buy a complex right in Colorado when you buy something you generally need money they do a financing right and they, the financing was around you know supporting that predominantly um, then in May they announced that they were backing off of the deal because they didn't like the terms which is I think prudent right um, but They still have a a price that's dropped because they've done an equity financing, correct? So as investors, we take advantage of that and say, okay, they're going to get cashed up either way. So if they buy it down the road for a lower price or the same price, they're ready to go. But now they don't have to raise in a a more difficult summer equity market, right? So they've got the cash on hand. They're doing everything right in Peru. They're growing production just like they said they would. Um, They've got some heavy hitters in the stock and here at 20 cents us i mean it's it's literally forming a base as we speak so you know we bought a little bit more of that here at 20 uh last week another one i just talked to uh jesse yesterday was a Guanajuato silver uh which is gsvrf um they have a really interesting story james anderson was uh, you know doing that interview from the, one of the complexes in mexico and they have a really solid team in the field, not just a good leader in James. They've got Ramon, who basically has spent many, many years at Pan American and First Majestic, right? Like great, great silver companies now working for a junior, kind of leading the charge down in Mexico for them. And and we just think at 28 cents, you know, is it was at 49 cents a few months ago? So it's not in half, but it's getting close and um you know we we just think that some of this stuff is when you look at the silver chart and how it's holding up it doesn't make any sense right it's it's like the silver juniors are getting so beaten up when silver's just hanging in there if, you know you would you would expect if silver got to 18 sure you're going to see some selling even at 20 right but but at 2350 like i don't think it's like a, t- a panic situation at all
0: Let's talk about uranium because we've been seeing the spot price of uranium moving higher at a fairly decent pace recently. I had Mike Alkin on the show recently. He was also discussing how the long-term contracting is having higher ceilings on the price. So what do you make of this and do you think the equities will eventually follow suit? Because that's what's had a lot of uranium investors, let's say, in a low sentiment recently.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the Uranium price is broken out here. And if you look at leaders like CCJ, Cameco, I mean, it's a beautiful looking three-year chart. Um, it, it It's not representative of all equities, to your point. Um, a lot of the small and mid-cap stuff hasn't done very well. And it has been frustrating for investors. But we own, you know, we would own a Cameco through something like URA, you know, a, a, an ETF. Uh, so we play the entire space that way. We like URA. Um, we think it's trading beautifully here bouncing off of that 19 to 20 range and, and now cl- approaching 23 technically looks fine um we even bought some uroy recently around the two dollar level uroi uh as a royalty play in uranium's in the uranium space excuse me and we still own uh forum which has been on your show before fdcff uh, we added to that believe it or not it got down to 0.05 um, we added there we added it at 0.0523 and we added again at six so we, you know, Jesse, one of the things that we do is, is we add multiple times to a name that we like, right? You can't always get the timing of an entry correct. There's no one that, anyone who tells you that is just lying. There's just no way to get that right. So you get a number of head fakes in commodities, right? So you say to yourself, well, has the thesis changed for Forum? Has it changed for Uranium Equities? No. So you buy on dips and you buy in small increments, right? So you, you, when you get more confidence, you raise your, you know, you, you invest more into that particular name. But right now, we're seeing a pretty healthy you know story for uranium equities, I think, as we move forward in the next 12 months.
0: So you mentioned the broad market earlier, how NVIDIA has been ripping this whole AI craze. And there are a small number of mega cap tech companies that are holding up the SP and and the NASDAQ. It seems like it's giving the illusion we're in a bull market because without those companies due to the market weighting aspect of those indices – They would be flat or even down. So this seems like an unsustainable situation, yet we had a Barron's Magazine cover. This this just made me laugh. It, It seemed like peak madness where there was a bull dancing and this caption, this bull market has legs on the front. I mean, this whole thing just reeks of the classic, the thing that Benjamin Graham was warning us about back in The Intelligent Investor. So is this a sign we're nearing the top?
1: You know, it's funny. I, I'm older than I, than I like to be. And, um, when I was in the field in the late nineties, like 99 into 2000, there was the same euphoric kind of feeling about tech. If you remember, AOL had an analyst talk about a thousand dollars a share. It never even came close. Um, so I used to do seminars with financial advisors and the public. And I would have a series of overheads because that's how old I am. Um, it wasn't even PowerPoint. Um, and you put up these slides of magazine covers from Money Magazine. And it was that same BS, you know, that same kind of like aggressive, like buy, buy, buy kind of environment. Right. And that is extremely dangerous if you were to follow that advice. Right. Like does Money Magazine have your back? Do they know about your dreams and goals? Absolutely not. Same with Barron's. I mean, Barron's is a quality publication. But come on. Like, I mean, we're, we're so deep into a bull run here. Um, March of 2009 to now, come on, it's 14 plus years, guys. It's it's like at some point, you're going to be throwing money at a tech stock that won't come back to par for, I'd say, two to three years minimum. And I say this because I've lived it. If you look at the year 2000, I was um, in in numerous meetings with, you know, portfolio managers. I worked for Merrill Lynch at the time, and one of our guys was talking up Intel at 80, And he was our top growth manager, okay? Larry had a ton of of a following. And then I bought it at 40 because I thought, hey, I'm really smart now. I'm smarter than Larry. I bought it half off of where he told me to buy it a few months ago. It took me 10 plus years to get back to 40 from 2000. I don't It was somewhere in the 2010s. But, like, I made my money back. Like, okay? So, yes, things happen more quickly now with algorithmic buying and selling. So maybe it wouldn't take that long. But I'm telling people, hey, look. I'm not touching much technology here. If it were to be something that we would go long, it's some type of name like in the smaller micro cap space that's just gotten smoked. Um, but we're not buying big tech. And, and one other thing to to add to your your um, comment about breadth within something like the S and P, if you look at the SPY, which is probably the largest uh, ETF out there in terms of assets under management, go take a look at their top ten holdings as of May thirty first. Twenty six point one percent in tech. That's not the ETF. That's the the top 10. So yeah, things are heavily weighted towards one sector, and that's where you're getting the bulk of your returns.
0: So let's talk about where you are seeing opportunity now. Um, You talked about silver. Silver. Um, I think obviously you talked about uranium. You expect some of the equities to catch up to where uh, the spot price and the long-term contracting price is going. Are there any other sectors or companies at the moment that you're seeing opportunity in commodities or otherwise that you think investors should maybe be taking a closer look at?
1: Sure. Um, I didn't I didn't really talk too much about gold equities on the back of my gold discussion. So I'll mention a few of those to start. Um, I think you know, we mentioned, uh, Cartier probably on your show at one point, uh, ECRFF. I met with, um, Philippe, uh, back in, in March and, um, just a really smart guy, uh, had some clients at a lunch and we spent two hours going through the entire deck and really asked a lot of deep questions and he answered every single one of them. You know, I love when CEOs can handle difficult, you know, curveball kind of questions because um he's been in the business 30 years. He's known Agnico, his largest shareholder for 25 plus years. His largest shareholder Agnico AEM owns 15.4% of the stock. Do you think that they're probably going to get to 19.9 sometime soon and eventually, you know, be more interested? Maybe. Um, It's worth a risk here at 7.5 cents. I mean, it's like um, you know, the stock on the three-year chart hit 35. So at seven, you're basically what, you know, 80% off from, from the three-year high. Um, that's the kind of ridiculousness that we see out there, right? It's, it's like, there's such a disconnect between the gold price and a gold junior like that, that has, you know, 2.35 million ounces of gold. It's not like they have 500,000 ounces. It's like, they've actually built something. And, um, yeah. Uh, for investors, you might want to check Kai Hoffman's interview out because he interviewed uh, Philippe on the back of the news last week that was also positive. They've discovered a new zone um, and he went into depth with him for like 20 to 30 minutes. So that's on YouTube. Um, and that's Sore Financial. So, um yeah, Serato, we we started to track Serato here and entered the stock at 61. It's at 58 right now. Uh, that's C-R-D-O-F. Um they've got two really interesting projects. They've got uh work they've done they've done with Sprout Streaming. They're doing a due diligence meeting uh next week in Brazil. Um actually this week, excuse me. So that's coming to a conclusion probably today, to tomorrow or tomorrow. And, uh, they had some analysts that were coming out to that because they wanted to, you know, companies, Jesse, they want to share with, with analysts and, and, high net worth investors. Hey, this is what we're doing. You know, maybe the news is not getting through to you guys, but we're, but we're actually advancing the project nicely. We're not in a bad financial position, et cetera. Right. Um, I also know Jordan Ray Byrne from the Daily Gold newsletter, um, has liked Serato and, and wrote about it just recently, about a week ago in his newsletter. Um, and then lastly, on the gold side, I'd say, uh, U.S. gold is one that I've gotten much more interested in again here recently at four bucks because it's held the $3.50 level here eight times last year. Um, I mean, when you see something like that, you're going to get a bounce. The stock bounced to $7.48 this year. So a hundred percent plus gain. Um, we pointed this out to our, our clients multiple times in the fall of last year. So a lot of people that follow us and, and, you know, pay our monthly fees we were, we're very happy right because the stock popped on a lot of on on very little news it was just a large investor Jesse that got into a stock that has literally 10 million shares fully diluted so like when you when you have a small share count like that and you've got a big buyer and no sellers well there's an imbalance right and you're gonna have a higher stock price um, we think at four dollars here that within probably six to seven months they're gonna get their permanent Wyoming everything on their news flow, as well as the letter from the the CEO, George B indicates to us that they're on track. They're not facing problems that a lot of junior miners have faced with permitting right now. Um, and part of that is because they're not on land that requires them to jump through a bunch of hoops. Right. So um, I visited that site. Actually, I do very few site tours. I'm going to visit ascendant probably later this year. And I visited us gold last year and, and, it looked around at the top of their proposed site, and, and it's like five ranchers as far as you can see. So it's it's pretty deep off the main road, but it's also close enough to the highway for access. I mean, it's got a lot going for it, in my opinion. Um, to name two other stocks that aren't gold and silver, um, Stillwater, you know, PGEZF in the States, um, we've been accumulating here at the 12-cent level because we believe in what Sabanier has done with the Stillwater Complex. Uh, if you look at SBSW and, and where they've really taken that mine, it's been an amazing run over the last number of years. In fact, they did a $500 million stream with Wheaton WPM a few years back, and that didn't save the company, but it surely helped uh, Sabanier get out of a deep hole. And if you look at what happened from then, I think that was around three, four, five bucks, and it went all the way to twenty. So you know, when you when you get more confidence as an investor um, that a company is going to be financially secure, you're going to see some money thrown at it, right? And of course, Sabani had the benefit of being in GDX or GDXJ, where Stillwater um, Critical doesn't, right? But Sabanier so is attached to Stillwater or vice versa. So, like at some point, someone's going to recognize this and say, "Okay, um, this is a reasonable project in Montana. It's de-risked. Um, they put out some great news in January. So we're bullish that stock." Um, also, you know, World Copper here, uh, WCUFF, is trading at eleven cents, and you know, it it had to do a financing a few months ago. It completed that successfully. It's put some pressure on shares. However, you know, I think people need to remember that this stock, ha- this company has two projects. One is in Chile. One is in Arizona here. And um, either of those projects to me is worth 11 cents U.S. Um, I think they are really uh, undervalued versus some of the copper peers out there because when you look at copper juniors, They've already done the work, Jesse, with PEAs. I mean, they've already put in, these These projects are more developed than people are giving them credit for um, because a lot of times people like to throw money at a copper explorer, right? It's like, okay, they've hit one good hole, let's throw a bunch of money at it, but they still have to go through the process, right? Of the 430101, the PEA, the PFS, etc. Go on World Copper's website and look at how developed these projects are. Um, the one in Chile has got an IRR, uh, internal rate of return of about 45%, which is... The highest RIRR that we found in that region. Um, and Chile's, you know, top three in the world for copper production. So we think that, uh, they're, they're cashed up for the rest of the year and, uh, they're not getting any credit. And so we'll buy that as value managers too.
0: Well, let's finish by touching on some market risks. Obviously, we've discussed the tech sector, how it's quite overbought. Obviously, the big risk is yoloing into a stock like Nvidia at this point. What else is out there? What are potential landmines you're seeing in the market and the economy that you think people should be paying attention to?
1: When you look at the Wall Street bets, Reddit crowd kind of favorite stocks like AMC, GameStop, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. Well, hey, Bed Bath and Beyond went out. They're they're done as of this year. They they went bankrupt, right? So you can look at that chart over three years. Easily a twenty dollar stock, if I remember correctly, went to zero. Um, GameStop had problems recently, like AMC. I'm not interested in the movie theater stock. Like, I mean, there's there's just uh an amass a massive amount of irrational behavior going on in the momentum growth space right now. And as a value manager, you know, I'm biased. I have I have I, I see things the other way, right? I look for value. So of course I'm gonna, you know, take that side of of that of that trade and not look at those kind of trades. I think that if you're looking at growth, you have to look at things like that would have a growth aspect to them, like a, like a Pfizer, which is clearly like, you know, bottom tier at the 35 level and now bouncing, right? Like that is more of a value core stock than it is a growth stock, but it could be a growth stock, right? Cause look what they did during COVID. It's like things like that with a dividend are much more interesting to me than chasing some growth idea that I'm not even sure is going to work. Um, so, you know, we, we, have been on your show talking about how we go long and short certain names from time to time, not in our mining or energy portfolio, of course, but, you know, we basically, um, are looking at, uh, you know, travel and leisure, just rallying beyond belief here. Again, it's, it's like, go look at Royal Caribbean, RCL at 95 plus, like, Is that mean that cruise ships are all of a sudden the best place to be post COVID? Like they're literally trading on the three-year chart at like a dollar or two off the high as we speak. Like, Wow. Um, I mean, I hope their revenues will support that in the next, you know, couple of quarters. And that's what we see, right? It's like, I would look at that as more of a short opportunity than a long opportunity because I've missed the boat. If I was going to go long RCL, I should have done it at 30 or 40 or 50. Now at 95, I'm like, hmm, I, I'm looking at this as, uh, there's got to be a pullback in here somewhere. I just think there, there, there's a catch up trade, right? Of like people being trapped in their homes wanting to put money to work in, in vacations, which is completely normal. Um, but then is that sustainable? That's the question. So we see there's a lot of risk out there um, in the broad market. We're not long a lot of stuff, um, but we love, you know, certain mining stocks here, as we've talked on your show about, uh, we we really like the energy sector, which we'll talk more about in your next show.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, John, and sharing your knowledge with our audience. For those who want to learn more and aren't familiar, could you fill us in on Fennec Consulting?
1: Sure. Yeah. The website's FennecConsulting.com. I'll um, put some things in the show notes in terms of contact info. Um, We've been at it you know, four years. We we try really, really hard um, to understand what a client's where are clients coming to us from, right? If they're coming to us from Bitcoin, or if they're coming to us from, you know, Wall Street bets kind of stocks, we don't want to talk to them usually because I think we can't deliver the kind of returns that they would be interested in, right? Um, so we politely tell them to go to a competitor. Um, we want to work with people that see what we see, right? We see the Fed. We've talked about the Fed being hawkish into this year. That's worked. We've talked about the financial crisis. That is a question mark right now. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is, that was a blip, right? Maybe it was a blip, but we think that we can only just see from our subscriber growth, Jesse, that April and May were our two strongest months ever. So we have more and more high net worth clients coming to us and saying, Hey, I need help with my portfolio. I need help understanding what I own. And, um, You know that's exciting because there's more and more generalist investors that were in the broad market that are now saying i need you know to protect myself a bit more um so you know we have a number of things on our website you can choose from but uh, we just lowered our prices here june 1st uh, in an effort to try to you know just align ourselves with with investors that you know are, are not doing as well as they may have hoped at this point in the sectors
0: Great. Well, I'll put links and all that information in the description below for anybody who wants to check that out. Thank you once again, John, and looking forward to having you on again to continue the conversation. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.